Good morning, beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? Another great day that God has blessed us with, that we have the privilege of gathering in his name, be reminded that he loves us, to be reminded of what his son has done for us, to be reminded that we're his, what good news is ours. Uh, a special shout out to Matt Yusey, whose whole family just left him to Oak Kids Worship. Uh, Matt, can you just wave your hand? He's a PCA pastor. He has a very difficult calling to Hawaii, all right? And so Matt was here when he was in seminary, worked on staff as an intern with us, a dear friend via the Philadelphia area, and now is laboring for the Lord uh, in Hawaii. So blessings, brother. Great to have you and Karen back home. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Genesis, kind of toward the middle end of Genesis, Genesis 37, as we begin today, the story of Joseph. An incredible story of Joseph. Uh, Maybe we're drawn to this story more than others because in Joseph's story, we can so clearly see even way back in the book of Genesis, Jesus, we can see so much of of his story uh, being uh, coming to light uh, uh, in the life of Joseph. We also realize that in all of Genesis, Moses gives more ink to Joseph than anybody else. He gets it more than Adam or, or Noah or even the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Although they all have great stories, Joseph gets the most ink. And Joseph's story, I got to tell you, it's incredible. As a matter of fact, just reading his story is probably enough for us to have a good meal on God's word. I could sit down, but... I'm still going to preach, all right? We're still going to look into and digest this story. But the one thing I want to start with, the one thing when we look at Joseph's story that maybe you could even write down now as we launch into this is this. This function doesn't disqualify. This function doesn't disqualify. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Because we we realize in the story of Joseph, and, and these are, listen, These are like the heroes of the Bible. I mean, this is like family that's, this is God's family. This is God's chosen family. And yet we're going to see, oh my goodness, they're like you. They're like me. They're like our family. These people are messed up. (laughs) They're so dysfunctional. But we see in the midst of dysfunction, God's grace shines brightly. In the midst of dysfunction, God's plan unfolds. And dysfunction doesn't disqualify. Amen? Such good news. Hey, as we begin, I kind of want to start off by, if we could, let's slip our feet into the sandals of the original hearing audience of this story. Let me tell you who they would be. We believe that Moses would write the book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, he would write the first five books of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch. And here's when he wrote them. He wrote them in the wilderness. God had just done some incredible things for his people through Moses. And what he has done is he has released them from Egypt and slavery as they were enslaved there. And and they had this incredible Passover meal that that God rescued them. And and then he would lead them through the Red Sea. And oh my goodness, you probably know the story of how God parted the waters and his people marched right through on dry land and then closed up the sea on the Egyptians who were following. And so they were wandering, but where they were wandering, they were going to the promised land that God had told them about. And while they were there, God spoke to Moses. God's word says, sometimes he spoke face to face to him. And he told him the story. 
He told them the story of creation. He told them the story of who they were. He told them the story of God. But you know, as they were there and as Moses was writing, guess what they were doing? They were carrying the bones of somebody. They were carrying someone's bones through everything, through the Red Sea. They were carrying these bones through the wilderness. And I had to wonder, they probably said, dude, what's the story with the coffin? What's the story with the bones of, of the one that we're bringing? And he said, well, that's, that's Joseph. Let me tell you the story of Joseph because it was Joseph. He was the first family member that went to Egypt. And it was Joseph. These bones are going to tell a story. They're going to tell an incredible story because it's, it's our story. It's through Joseph that God rescued this family. It's through Joseph that God not only rescued the family, he rescued the entire world. It's through Joseph. It's through, through this reality we're going to look at that these bones, these bones of Joseph, that Moses is going to tell us the story of this man. It will tell them their story. How cool is that? They are literally carrying their story, but it does more than just tell them their story. It tells them God's story, but it does more because God's story is going to point to God's redeemer, Jesus, and it's going to set up Jesus's story. If we really understand the story, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to us. We realize it's more than just their story. It's our story too. So all how these bones will speak. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 37. If you didn't bring them, no problem. You'll see it's all listed for you there in the bulletin. It'll also be on the screen for us. We're going to have different team members read this story for us. It's such an incredible story. I've asked Gillian to come from our communications department to read God's word for us today. Thank you very much, Gillian. Please follow along with me as I read from Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. 
And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he went, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers. He said, tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Thank you. Thank you, Gillian. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for telling us your story. And thank you that your story of your family members, those that you call beloved, we can see the truth that they're a lot like us, broken, sinful, dysfunctional. And we thank you that our dysfunction doesn't disqualify us from your love and your grace and your plan. We thank you for your mercy and the work of your son, that despite ourselves, despite our sinfulness, you unfold your plan for this world and for our lives. You mean good, what we thought was evil. And God, only you could do that. God, would you come and speak to a broken sinner like me, one who too is dysfunctional, who desperately needs your grace? 
God, would you give us ears to hear your voice so that we can understand our place in the story? Would you give us minds to understand your word? What does this story mean to us? And God, would you give us hearts, hearts that would embrace your love for sinners like us, hearts for us to stand, understand the way you care for us and what your son has done for us. And in all these things, God, would you so powerfully and tangibly be with us that when we walk out of here, we would be able, empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Come and feed us. Feed us through your word. Come and feed us. Feed us through the table. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me about this dysfunctional family. And again, as you read this story, you're reminded right away that there's a lot of similarities between Joseph and Jesus. I mean, Joseph, like Jesus, is going to be sold. Did you see what he was sold for? Silver coins. Does it sound familiar? Betrayed by those who were closest to him uh, by silver coins. And, And yet it's going to be Joseph. Joseph, who is going to be not just betrayed, but be used by God to rescue his betrayers, just like Jesus, who rescues us, who have such a propensity to betray him. It's incredible because we see that the sale of Joseph, the sale, the sinful sale of Joseph that his brothers are responsible for was a part of a plan. And the beauty of Joseph's stories is this, is that, that we make decisions and we're responsible for those decisions. And many of those decisions are sinful. And yet we see in the beauty of Joseph's story that, that God's hand of providence, God's ruling and controlling plan isn't thwarted. In the midst of it all, dysfunction doesn't win. Dysfunction doesn't qualify. We see that God's plan will not be thwarted, even by our sin and folly. Somehow in Joseph, what we're going to see is that Romans 8.28 is true. You know what Romans 8.28 says? I've been around Christianity for a while. You probably know it. For all things work together for the good, right? All things for those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, all things work together for the good. And how many times have you looked at that verse and you say, are you kidding me? Are you serious? I mean, even in the last 24 hours, I was told of a young boy at Bishop Moore that lost his battle to leukemia in the last couple of days. 17 or 18 year old kid. You say, come on, he just found out in December and he's gone. I got a phone call from a friend who's, who's not a believer who uh, has a daughter at the University of Georgia yesterday. And, and on that campus, there, were, uh, there was an accident and five girls were in a car and four have died. And she was the younger sister of one of the ones who died. So what do I say? What do I say? What do I tell my daughter? How, how, how do you respond? And, and again, it's in those situations. It's not what we say, it's how we say it. But God wants to speak into all of our brokenness. God wants to speak into all of our dysfunction and to say, He's got a plan and he's in control. And the reality is true that all things are going to work together for good. I I don't see it all the time. I don't know how. And we're going to see the reality is that God uses dysfunctional families. That's such good news. Dysfunctional people. It's the first thing we're going to see. You see the movie Hitch? 
I don't know. I think Will Smith is one of the greatest actors there is out there. And the movie Hitch, has anybody seen the movie Hitch? You all are giving me blank stares. I'm getting nervous right now. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun little story. Hitch is not only his name, it's kind of what he does for a living. He has this great proclivity to take two people and help them fall in love with one another. But when he was falling in love himself, he devised a plan, which he thought would be a great plan. He was going to rent some jet skis on the Hudson River, and he was going to take this girl on her first date. He was going to take him to Ellis Island. And as they went to Ellis Island, tell the story of how all the immigrants have come through here. And he worked it out with a security guard there at Ellis Island in such a, a, a suave, sophisticated, wonderful way that he would lead this girl that he was interested to, to the book that would reveal the very first family member that came to the United States. The plan was working beautifully. There she stood. There she realized, oh my goodness, there's the name of the one who came here for the first time. And she began to cry. And Hitch is like, I got this, man. I've worked this out. This is fantastic. Putty in my hand. Well, her tears became more and more like... (laughs) hysteria. And it wasn't a cry that you anticipate. It was like, something is really wrong with this story. And you realize that what he had done is reminded her of the dysfunction in their family tree, that this gentleman who was the first one there, who was known as the butcher, was not his vocation, but what he did that made him unwanted posters all across the land. The butcher, he said, oh, that's great. My family is dysfunctional. Well, Coming to the realization that our families are dysfunctional shouldn't surprise anybody. Does anybody want to say, hi, my name is Jeff and I come from a dysfunctional family? I mean, seriously, every one of us has it. We have it. We have it. Look in the mirror. And if you don't have it, you, you, you live in a world called delusion, right? Because all of us have this. And let's look at this dysfunctional family. Don't forget, who is this? This is God's family. This is God's chosen family. This is, this is Israel, Jacob, let's talk about the father. It's a father who plays favorites. It's a father who has 12 sons, but there's one he really, really loves. And he plays favorites. And he wants to elevate him. He wants to love him in a special way. So much so that he gives him a coat of many colors. But you know what? When a parent plays favorites, when a parent lifts one up above his siblings, it'll always separate. It'll always alienate. It'll always wound. A dysfunctional family where a father plays favorites. And a son, Joseph. Joseph, we meet him, he's 17 years old. And this son, Joseph, that God's going to use mightily. And let me tell you about him. He's absolutely self-absorbed. He's so into Joseph. He's self-righteous. Why is he tattling on his brothers and bringing them bad reports to his father and loving that? Oh, look at me. I'm the good son. I'm the righteous son. He was self-righteous, self-vindicating. He was a tattletale. Who likes a tattletale, especially in the family? And Joseph, he had dreams that put him literally, and sometimes we use the word literally wrong. We say, I literally, and we don't literally, but it's, he put himself literally in the center of the universe. His dreams literally put him there. The moon, the sun, the stars, they revolve around who? Joseph. This is some serious dysfunctions. And what about brothers? Brothers who hated their own brother to the point of murder. To the point of selling him, thinking that they'll, okay, we won't kill him. We'll just human traffic him. Oh, that's a good thing. We'll we'll just get rid of him by, by selling him and get a little coin in our pocket. 
Now listen, those of us who have siblings know sibling rivalry. There's probably no rivalry sometimes like sibling rivalry. I know the biggest fist fight I ever gotten with was with my own brother. A knockdown drag out. And after the service, all David Kasher wanted to talk about was a fight. David, that's not the point. But, and there's going to be tension and there's going to be friction in every one of our homes. But this is murder. This is hatred. This is dysfunction. We have to realize that this chosen family of God has dysfunction in the roots of the family tree. I mean, deep in the roots of the family tree. And this is God's chosen family tree, right? This is, we're talking about the 12 tribes of Israel here. This is Jacob. This is Israel. This is a big deal. And let's just take a minute. Let's just step back. and Let's talk about the fruit of this dysfunctional family. Because it's abundant. It's everywhere. Jacob. Let's talk about him, the father, for a minute. Let's look up a little, go up a lineage. Jacob was one of two twins. He and his brother Esau. These twins were rivals. They literally, again, literally true, came out of the womb actually in conflict. Jacob's holding on to his brother. That's how he's got his name. Esau's name coming out of the womb. And they would be wrestling their entire life. You know, this favorite thing didn't play well for them. It was modeled for them. Rebecca loved Jacob, but, uh, or Esau. I know, loved Jacob. Rebecca loved his son Jacob, but Isaac, the dad, Loved Esau. He was kind of like a man's man. Jacob, kind of soft. And so there was a love rivalry even then. And it was Jacob. The story tells us Jacob would steal his brother's birthright for a bowl of soup. More on that as you read God's word. He, he would steal his father's blessing from his brother. I mean, Jacob, listen, Jacob and Esau hated each other so much that they too had to flee. Jacob had to go run, find some other family. He had to get away because Esau was going to kill him. This is a pattern of dysfunction that keeps repeating itself. So he runs back home and he sees a woman that he falls in love with. Oh my goodness, did he fall in love with? And she was connected to the family tree as well. When the dad said, okay, Laban said, okay, you can, you can work for my daughter. Give me seven good years. I'll give you Laban. Or I'll give you Rachel. And he worked. He said it was like seven years were like that. You ever been in love where time just passes like that? I mean, he just loved Rachel. On his wedding night, he couldn't wait. He worked so hard for her. And man, they gave him some really strong drink. And they did a little bait and switch. And he wakes up with Rachel's sister, Leah. He'd been bamboozled to marry somebody else. And the rivalry only gets worse. He'll eventually have to work seven more years for Rachel to get two of them. And then, then they'll be competing for children. Well, they'll start saying, well, why don't you sleep with my maidservant? Well, why don't you sleep with my maidservant? And out of the four of them come the 12 tribes of Israel. Anybody think there's a little dysfunction going on here? Is this a little dysfunctional? Let's go one more layer up to Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and I'm dysfunctional, and so are you, because he was. Okay, it wasn't the song, but Father Abraham. Do you know what Father Abraham did twice? Not once, twice. His wife Sarah was so good looking, even in her late age, that twice he, he basically said to his wife, I'm going to lie a little bit here. You can talk about you being a sister so that you don't, they'll take you so they don't kill me. I mean, basically Abraham twice, pardon the phrase, he pimped his wife out twice to save his own skin. That's dysfunction. And although God promised a seed that would come that would bless the whole world through him, he couldn't wait. 
And he and Sarah didn't look like they have children. So what he says, let's take things into our own hands. Let's, let's be dysfunctional enough. Why don't you go sleep with Hagar? Why don't you sleep with my maidservant? That'd be a good idea. And maybe we can find God's blessing dysfunctionally on our own. And it produced Ishmael. Ishmael and Isaac. Do you know the Muslim world sees Abraham as their father too? Do you know the Muslim world will say that God's blessing comes from Ishmael? And do you know the Jewish world and the Christian world will say it comes through Isaac? Can you know that through the dysfunction of that one family, our world is still in turmoil? And who in the world did they decide to sell Joseph to? Did you, see, did you catch it? The Ishmaelites. Here come the Ishmaelites. I mean, this story is dripping with dysfunction. This story is dripping with brokenness. This is a dysfunctional family. But here's good news. You got to hear this. You got to hear this. Here's good news. Dysfunction doesn't disqualify. Dysfunction doesn't disqualify. Why? Because every family tree has dysfunction. Can we be honest? Every family has dysfunction. Every family member has dysfunction. Why? We can see in the Bible, this is the results of the fall. We take the original family tree. We run it all the way back to Adam and Eve. And you realize that is where the dysfunction started and everything else has been broken. But here's some really, really good news. Dysfunction doesn't disqualify. You see, through all of this, through the dysfunction of hatred and a family that decides to sell their brother You know what scripture said? God meant it for good. Oh, they're still responsible. They still got to deal with their sin. God's going to deal with them. But can you believe this? Not only did their dysfunction not disqualify them, but God had a plan. Let me put this in your life. Your dysfunction doesn't disqualify you from God's blessing. Your dysfunction and your dysfunctional family does not disqualify you from God's plan. God is so great. His mercy and grace is so strong that he uses even our brokenness to bring him glory. You're not disqualified. Second thing this is dysfunctional dreams. Telling someone your dreams is usually never a good idea. Good word, usually never. Um, But seriously, because telling someone your dreams, you ever notice that hearing somebody else's dreams, two words, boring, they're not usually interesting. They don't usually make sense and you don't really want to hear them. So don't tell somebody your dreams unless they really, really care for you. All right. But if your brothers hate you and if your brothers hate you because you have a special jacket and your brothers hate you because your dad shows you extra attention and you dream that the brothers are going to worship you, have the good sense, right? To maybe not share your dream. I mean, maybe you want to keep that one on the down low, right? Maybe you just wanted to like pray to God saying, well, what does this mean? You know, but here's Joseph. He's so dysfunctional in his dreams. He thinks it's a good idea. He's so relationally obtuse that he's going to tell his brothers, by the way, you're all going to bow to me. And then he has a good sense to turn to mom and dad and by the way, you are too. Oh my goodness. Joseph, the dreamer. And his dreams were used selfishly. He'll also become Joseph the dream interpreter. And you ready for this? God is going to use this 17-year-old, self-centered, egotistical, broken man to save his family and to save the world. 
His foolishness right now is going to hurt his family. His foolishness right now is going to hurt himself. It's going to lead to, to some deep anguish in his soul. But what we know is this. God has gifted Joseph. Joseph will say interpretations are of the Lord of dreams. God, God will show Joseph what he's got. He got from God. And God will teach him that you can't use my gifts without godly wisdom. Here's the point. God's gifted you too. He's gifted you. And the only way we could use our gifts in a way that aren't in a dysfunctional way is if godly wisdom to acknowledge the giver of gifts and use him for his glory. What is a dysfunctional dream? A dysfunctional dream is anything that lifts you up and doesn't promote God and his glory. It's any dream that elevates you above God's glory. What are your dreams? What are your dreams for your life? What are your dreams for your kids? What are your dreams for your marriage? What's your dream for your, for your career? What's your dream for your retirement? What's your dream? Is your dream consumed with you? Or is your dream consumed with your God, the God who made you, the, the Savior who rescued you, that, that God wants to tell his story through you? What dreams do you have? Remember, dysfunction doesn't disqualify. We could certainly see that in Joseph. God's going to use him to save his family, to save the world. Once Joseph learns humility, and oh, is Joseph going to learn humility? And he'll become a man. Okay, dysfunctional family, we've seen it, right? We've seen dysfunctional dreams, and the last thing we see is dysfunctional behavior. Let's go back over this again. A father, how dysfunctional is he? Well, he wants to show special care, give a special coat to a special son. And what does he do? Create a hostile family environment that would alienate his family. This is, this is dysfunctional behavior from a parent. And what about dysfunctional behavior of a son? He's a tattletale. He's self-righteous, self-vindicating, self-centered dreamer. And what about the dysfunctional behavior of brothers? They hate their brother to the point of death. This is, this is so dysfunctional. You've got to see this. That, that while they're in the field, they say, okay, look, look, look who's coming. Anybody recognize that, jo- that, that joker? Oh, yeah. I recognize that jacket anywhere. I hate that jacket. I hate that kid. I hate everything about him. Hey, this is our chance. We're pretty far away. What do you guys think? Let's kill him. Let's kill him. We hate him to the point. Let's kill him. And then Reuben, the oldest, says, well, maybe, maybe, it's not, maybe it's not the greatest idea to kill him right now. So I'll get a plan. Hey, just, just throw him in a pit. Let's just throw him in a pit. We'll deal with him later. And then they decide, you know what? Maybe killing him isn't the right thing to do. Let's traffic him. Let's make a little money on the deal. Let's just sell him and put together a plan that he was eaten by wild animals. You ready for this dysfunction? And they sat down and ate. They sat down and ate. They had a meal together. They just decided that they were going to kill or, or hijack and sell their brother. And they're like, hey, hey, uh, does anybody, uh, anybody want my pickle? I don't want my pickle, really. Uh, hey, what do you got? What did you pack in your lunch? I got this in my lunch. Is there, man, really? And you know what it says? It says later in the story that in that pit, Joseph was pleading for his life. He was pleading for his life. His soul was in such anguish. His brothers had stripped him of that robe. They they had treated him worse than in their worst enemy and thrown him into a pit. And they decided to sit down. Hey, let's, let's, let's have a meal. How dysfunctional is that? 
that they could fill their stomachs and hear the voice of their very own flesh and blood plead for his very life. So dysfunctional that they're willing to lie to their father. Listen, they're willing to break their father's heart. Yeah, it was wrong that the father had a special love for Joseph. Yeah, it was wrong that he shouldn't have given him that coat of many colors and not anybody else. Yeah, he was a mess. But dang it, honor your father and your mother, even though they are a mess. And you're going to go home and you're going to wound your father to the absolute depth of his being. You're going you're to willfully wound him to the point where he says, I'm going to take this to the grave. Talk about dysfunctional behavior. But dysfunction doesn't disqualify. And although they are responsible for their sin, and although they're acting like terribly evil men, God had a plan. And he meant it for good. And when they would confess their sins and repent of their sin, sinful deed, deeds, we will find resolution to this conflict. You see, it's Jesus. Jesus, like Joseph, who was sold for silver coins by his brothers, sold him and yet would be rescued by him. Let's go back to another meal. Let's go to a meal not at the pit with Joseph screaming for his life. Let's go to the meal in the upper room where Jesus was, where he would sit down and he would, he would sit with his dysfunctional disciples. His dysfunctional disciples who will be deserting their master in a minute, matter of moments. He's eating the last supper with them. And he's reminding them and he reminds us, your dysfunction doesn't disqualify you. What is he doing in that meal? Remember it was Jesus who, who was called Lord and Master, yet he was the one who was washing their feet. And in just a few minutes, he would wash away their sins by the shedding of their blood. It was Jesus in the midst of the dysfunction. What were they doing? Well, they were arguing. They were arguing who's going to be the greatest. Jesus is washing their feet. Jesus is about to die for their sins. And his disciples, the dysfunctional disciples, are arguing who's going to have the best seat in the kingdom and who's the greatest. And he's going to lay his life down for those knuckleheads and for you and for me. Because dysfunction doesn't disqualify. And the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is greater than our dysfunction. And how we will be labeled and how we will be seen and how we will stand before our God one day is robed in his righteousness, cleansed in his blood, forgiven of our dysfunction, given his name, standing in his standing in righteousness so that we could have life and life abundantly. Because dysfunction doesn't win. Jesus does. And even the cross, he'll even say in the book of Acts, what sinful, evil men did by crucifying Jesus, God's plan was accomplished because he wins, not our dysfunction. Dysfunction doesn't disqualify because of the cross of Christ. Jesus wants you to taste that reality. He wants you to touch that reality. We have a meal that reminds us of one who was pierced and broken because of our dysfunction. 
So through him, we could be made whole. Let us pray. Father, thanks for the story of Joseph. Thanks for telling us the truth of what a bonehead he was and how dysfunctional and how dysfunctional his entire family was. And we love the fact that this is your beloved family. This is your story. And out of this is going to come good for your glory because out of this story, we will see Jesus. And in him and the power of the gospel, we will be set free and made whole. Jesus, I just can't get over the depth of your love that after washing the disciples' feet, after hearing them argue and claim that they'll never forsake you, you still would love them to the very end. You knew their dysfunction, but you loved them enough to lay your life down for them, that through your sacrifice, you would heal them and heal us. As we take our tithes and offerings, may we give you more than just this. May we give you our very lives. And would you prepare our hearts to come meet you at the table, to remind us that you love us and that you're for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.